You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 35 West Shelton Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. So I'm gonna, we're going to spend a few minutes here together. I'm going to share a talk from the book of Joshua. Um, but I wanted to start with this book, actually. Just a few weeks ago... Uh, This author, Mark Charles, he's an author and speaker and consultant. He gave a talk on this book at our 2007 Frankfurt Ave building. This book is called Unsettling Truths, The Ongoing Dehumanizing Legacy of the Doctrine of Discovery. Um, Mark Charles is a Navajo Christian man who is writing about the far-reaching and damaging effects of what is known as the doctrine of discovery um, and manifest destiny. Uh, He's going back to the origins of this country, the very beginning, um, starting with the official church edicts in Europe, uh, in Italy and England, that gave Christian explorers the right to claim territories that were discovered. And these edicts institutionalized um, as a, like a national framework for this country that justifies American um, discovery, opportunity, expansion, um, triumphalism, and the ongoing injustices that were associated with that. The, the result of the doctrine of discovery um, today is that dominant culture idealizes our, our history, our American history, uh, while minority communities have been traumatized by colonization, slavery, segregation, and dehumanization. And as you know, last week we, we celebrated the con- our country, their federal con- uh, holiday, was celebrated as uh, Columbus Day, commemorating Columbus's discovery of uh, the New World, supposedly. I appreciated how Phil introduced our, our meeting last week, acknowledging Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, because of course there were people who lived here before Columbus discovered it, under these the edicts that he came. So the authority to discover and to conquer Uh, came out of the doctrine of discovery. It gave theological permission for the European body and mind to view themselves as superior to non-European bodies and minds. Um, And the spread of the European version of the Christian message was justification for all kinds of violence and atrocities committed against indigenous people. So this book tells that story in detail, goes back through the history, um, quotes documents, um, exposes what was, what was really there and doesn't often get told in the history books. Because as you know, whoever tells the story determines what story is told, how it is told, which parts are remembered, what is considered important or not. 
Um, Lindsay and Corinne and Ra and several others from our congregation were there to hear Mark Charles give a talk on his book, so I'm sure they'd be happy to tell you more about it. Um, we actually purchased, Circle of Hope purchased a number of copies of this book, and there are several back there on the table. So if you are interested in reading this book, I encourage you, please pick up a copy. Um, also, Mark Charles and Soon Chan Ra, who co-authored this book, have offered a free um, like hour-long Zoom session with folks um, from our congregation who want to talk about this book. And Ra is willing to organize a group for anybody who picks up a copy. If you want to read it and discuss it together as you move through it, um, please reach out to Ra. I can get you their contact information if you need it. So this is all really important um, history and worth talking about because the impact reverberates um, everywhere today. And um, reading the text today in the book of Joshua brought up this, this book for me because the conquest narrative, people taking over people and lands, um, at the core of the biblical tradition has been used to justify Christian conquest throughout history over and over again. So the story that we are in today um, at the end of the book of Joshua, it's, it's a difficult book to read, the whole book, I think. Um, it's a book of takeovers and trumpets and battles and conquering. In Genesis, at the beginning, God promised Abraham and his descendants that his descendants would possess a land, and the book of Joshua essentially reports that that promise has been fulfilled. Joshua is a military leader who has led the Israelites into the land of Canaan. And this book uh, is told that way. Then at the end of his life, Joshua calls the people of Israel together, the leaders, and he makes this speech, remembering what God has done and calling the people to make a choice to be faithful to God alone. After God had, so, so I wanna put this story into context. Um, from last week, we were at Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses uh, the, the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Best Ways, as we talked about it, and Moses gave them to the people. And the people had said that they would do everything the Lord had spoken. Then the Israelites went on their way, and they soon found that actually doing what they had committed to do was much harder than saying it. As they traveled, uh, learning how to put God's words into action, how to live as a community that God called them to be, how to trust God, um, that whole generation that had been, come, had, brought, had been brought out of Egypt died. And a new generation grew up in the wilderness while the people were traveling. So after 40 years of wandering, God 
brought the people into the promised land. And the book of Joshua, again, tells of the battles and the conquest and, and claiming that this violence was done in God's name. So today we hear about a gathering of the elders and the other leaders of the people at the end of this time when everything was kind of settling down and li living somewhat peaceably for a time. This is at the end of Joshua's life. So I'm going to read to you. This comes in the book of Joshua, chapter 14. I'm going to read one verses 1 through 7 to start us off. I'm reading from the CEB, the Common English Bible Translation. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders of Israel, its leaders, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. Then Joshua said to the entire people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors lived on the other side of the Euphrates. They served other gods. Among them was Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor. I took Abraham, your ancestor, from the other side of the Euphrates. I led him through the whole land of Canaan. I added to his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Mount Seir to Esau to take over, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt with what I thought, with, with what I did to them. After that, I brought you out. I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and you came to the sea. The Egyptians chased your ancestors with chariots and horses to the Reed Sea. Then they cried for help to the Lord. So he set darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea down on them and it covered them. With your own eyes, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. You lived in the desert a long time. And then Joshua goes on to recount specific battles with specific people groups. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They attacked you, but I gave them into your power. Then Moab's king set out to attack Israel. I rescued them, you from his power. Uh, the citizens of Jericho, I'm not reading all the details here. The citizens of Jericho attacked you. They were the Amorites, the Parasite, Parasites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. Um, but I gave them into your power. It drove them... Uh, I sent out the hornet before you. It drove them out before you and did the same to the two kings of the Amorites. He goes on through all of these battles. Joshua is reminding the people, um, starting back with their ancestor Abraham, where they came from. In order to understand what's happening in the present for them, he is reminding them to engage their long, long memory. He starts by saying, your ancestors were polytheists. They, they worshiped many gods. But God chose Abraham. And then God brought you all out of slavery in Egypt. Jo Joshua is reminding them that they are special because God chose them. And God did something special for them. 
And then almost, it's, it seems like almost to prove the point, Joshua is telling all these specific conquerings that happen. This is what Joshua thinks God wants them to remember about their history. But the way he tells it, God is the central actor here. The battles, in that time, battles were seen as a, a physical manifestation of a contest between the gods. There were many gods. So victory in battle was a god's power to defeat another god. And this military leader, Joshua, is recounting their conquest in light of God doing this for them. And as I've been reading about it, it seems that the facts of history don't actually line up with the story that's told in the book of Joshua. There's not evidence of a genocide. Um, the Canaanites are mentioned in the very next book of the Bible, so they are not wiped out. So it leads me to ask, why then would, they tell, would he tell the story this way? What's important about that? Why did it matter to our ancestors of faith that this was the representation of what happened, even if it wasn't factually what happened? I think he's telling a story of a God who is over other gods. And here's the why. We get to the why of Joshua's speech in verse 14. He says to the people, so now, revere the Lord. Serve him honestly and faithfully. Put aside the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if it seems wrong in your opinion to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Choose the gods whom your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in those, whose land you live. But my family and I will serve the Lord. Joshua started this whole narrative with their origin leading up to now in order to call the people to recommit to their chosenness, to their covenant with God, to follow the Lord their God faithfully. And then in verse 16, the people respond to his whole speech. I didn't read all of it to you. You can go back and read it if you want. But the people respond saying, God forbid that we ever leave the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord is our God. He is the one who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. He's the mighty. He has done these mighty things in our sight. He has protected us the whole way that we've gone and in all the nations through which we've passed. The Lord has driven out all the nations before us, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. So did you notice that when the people respond to Joshua, they are telling the story a little differently? Rather than all the battles and the conquests, they tell the story of God freeing them from bondage and protecting them the whole way they've come. Joshua, the warrior, God's military leader, 
someone whose whole experience has been in the military world, tells the story through that lens, even as God's version of the story. It is always this way in biblical text, since since the text is of divine origin, but is translated through the lens of humans into language that humans can understand. So when people frame it, when the, when the people frame it, they frame it in terms of God's protection. In fact, in Judges, the very next book, Judges 1, 27 through 36, goes into detail about the people and the places where the Israelites traveled, where genocide and displacement didn't happen. So even with all the complexities of that, and I don't claim to have that sorted, but I know that um, I don't see Jim Getz in the room at this very moment, but we happen to have a resident expert who does know, oh, there he is, who does know the Canaanite history in detail. Um, Even with the complexities of all of that, when it comes down to it, I think that the core of this text is a leader at the end of his life calling the people to remember the whole way back to where they came from and to recommit to their covenant relationship with God. This is who God is and the promises that God has kept. Choose today whom you will serve. Live in covenant. Be faithful to one God. Joshua knew that the people, that they had options. He knew that they were going to worship something. He tells them to choose, not actually what they have to choose. He says, make a choice. You're going to worship something. In light of your story and where you've come from, both the good and the bad, remember God's faithfulness and make a choice. Live into that choice every day. The people actually have to actively affirm at this moment in their, in their history, they have to actively affirm that they want to live in this covenant for it to have any power in their li- lives. They have to choose it and keep choosing it. And the choosing requires reflecting with some frequency to remember how, how, where is God? How is God in the center of this story? What has God done? And what are the commitments that we have made? To actively review and recommit to that. I think that's what Joshua is doing as he's giving this speech to the people here at the end of his life. And this text can serve as a call to us too in a similar way. A call to remember our stories, to look all the way back through the good and the bad. Who are we? Where do we come from? What gods are we serving? What harm has been done in God's name? From whose perspective are we remembering? What parts of the story do we tell? Uh, uh, preparing for this had me reflecting on our church's church planting history. Um, we are four congregations in four different locations. 
Uh, we've been around for about 25 years. And included in that history were five black pastors who are no longer here. And a narrative that obscures responsibility for the way that white supremacy in the church impacted them and why they left and why things didn't work out. And all those who weren't pastors who have left. There's a lot to our history and to considering the stories that we tell and what we remember. We are doing some of that work um, even now, and there is more to do. We are planning, um, hopefully, for November, the start of what we're calling subversive listening spaces. We're making space um, to gather in small groups with specific um, topics and purposes, um, but that space will be time to remember together. Last week, um, sorry, I just wanna say, it's not just for folks who have been in Circle of Hope for a long time, not just for remembering Circle of Hope history, but for exploring and um, considering um, what are the powers that that, that shape us and our stories. And how does that impact us? Uh, Last week, uh, on Monday night, we had cell leaders from across the whole church gathered for a training with Bethany Stewart, who is a covenant member and a a consultant right now for us. And she had us reflecting um, on where white supremacy culture shows up in Circle of Hope specifically. What does that look like? And just naming those things and writing them out was so powerful. It was so powerful to tell the truth. Um, Even if they are unsettling truths, unsettling our structures and the way we have done things is really important work for us to become who we need to be next. So I look forward to more space like that across the whole church for, for everyone. Um, What are the commitments that we have made? We have a map that has already been written. It has been discerned over months by uh, listening and prayer throughout, uh, a listening and prayer process throughout the whole church. How do we hold ourselves accountable to that? Later on in this chapter, Joshua writes down the covenant for the people, and then he takes a rock and he places it under the tree as a reminder to the people of their covenant with God. He says, this stone serves as a witness against us if we don't live as we said we would, if, if we aren't true to our God. We have ours written down in this map, and we will need to return regularly to actually do it. I'm not sure that we have even replicated the model for how we did it together again yet. We, we centered the marginalized across the church as we listened for what was being discerned and what rose to the top to direct us in our goals for this year. And I don't think we've actually replicated that model yet. We have, we have work to do to actually live into this, um, this commitment that we've made And it will require regular revisiting and accountability and evaluation of um, 
if we're doing it. It will require restructuring in the church in a way that follows the model of our map by elevating the marginalized among us. What that restructure looks like is yet to be determined. Um, Bethany, as our consultant, has a list of recommendations that she's offering to us. Um, our leadership team is asking hard questions about how do, we, how do we put everything on the table? What do we need to do to start over, to build um, with this new foundation of uh, the work that God's giving us to do? We want to uplift those who have been historically left out of the storytelling. And in doing so, hopefully create a new story together. There are lots of ways that we have yet to um, explore and live into this call of faithfulness to God according to our map. But I'm confident and, and um, hopeful for what that can look like and what it will mean. Let's pray together before we um, continue, and then I'll ask you to talk back to this with some of your own thoughts. God, this story in Joshua reminds us to consider who we serve and how we remain faithful to a God who is faithful to us. May your spirit continue to guide us as a church as we live into what is next. Give us the courage and the humility to recommit ourselves, to remember and recommit as often as needed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.